0: And welcome back to Dads on the Air, coming to you around Australia on the Community Radio Network. In this program, we bring you informing and entertaining conversations with a wide range of interesting people on topics of fatherhood, family and parenting, and men's and boys' issues. Hi, I'm Bill Cable, and with me in the studio today is Ken Thompson. Hello. And our guest today, our special guest today, is Terry Virts. Terry is first and foremost a father, but he's also an Air Force colonel, an astronaut, a photographer, and an author. see many strings to his bow. Terry, welcome to the program.
1: Hello, good to be with you guys.
0: Terry, uh, your fellow astronaut, Gene Cernan, said in his book, The Last Man on the Moon, that uh, the chances of being an astronaut are something like one in three million. When you were selected in 2000, did that make you feel pretty special?
1: It was a dream come true, and it's just it requires a lot of luck. Um, One of my last things I did at NASA before I retired a few months ago was help go through 18,000 applications. Mm -hmm. And, you know, many, many, many of those are very good, qualified people that would do great as astronauts. And unfortunately, we don't have that many jobs. So, yeah, it takes a lot of luck to to, to get picked to be an astronaut.
0: Yes, well, you have a a number of qualifications, including speaking uh, Russian and French, which uh, would be handy uh, in a space station, I imagine.
1: It was, yeah.
0: How about with your family? Did they make you feel special?
1: Well, they um, certainly supported me, and it was an adventure for them. Although, to be honest, you know, especially for kids, all of their friends had fathers or mothers. You know, they having an astronaut was not a big deal to them. <laughs> we were watching basketball a few years ago with my daughter, who at the time was probably ten, and we were watching LeBron James play in the NBA. Uh, championship, and she just looked at me and said, "Dad, why can't you be LeBron James?" <laughs> and I just laughed, and I said, uh, "You know what, dear? You're, you're right." <laughs> so the, the kids, the kids really help put you in your place.
0: Yes. Well, your your daughter uh, took something on herself while you were up in space, and she did the, an incredible ad for a Hyundai, and uh, she did a, a sign for you, a 5.5 kilometer sign written out by the cars. I've got to ask you, did were you able to see that sign?
1: Yeah, that was an amazing thing. It uh, took a lot of coordination with NASA, but uh, just for her to be able to do that. But I took a photograph of it from space. Yeah, it wasn't actually used in the commercial. They had their own, I think they purchased some satellite imagery, but I could. I, I took a picture of it and uh, <laughs> was able to see it on the, on the photograph. So... It was an amazing project.
0: Yes, and the the message was uh, Steph loves you. I think so. That was must have been uh, heartwarming to see it from uh, so far away.
1: I'm gonna be I'm gonna be sitting in my old folks' home when I'm in <laughs> 90 years old, you know, and watching that, going, oh, that was so great. My daughter used to love me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and how did your children react when you got home from space?
1: In my first space flight in 2010, it was funny. My kids were younger; they were elementary school age. And they were warned, all right, you're going to meet Dad. He just got back from space a couple hours ago. He's very busy. You can't jump on him. You can't touch him. He might fall over or whatever. And uh, I can remember the elevator door opened up, and my daughter saw me. And she was seven years old, and she just bolted and jumped in my arms. It was the most awesome thing. And thankfully, I didn't fall over. (laughs) It was pretty awesome.
0: I think your uh, your son, in a, on a later mission, uh, had a, a sort of more down-to-earth uh, message for you when you got in.
1: <laughs> like I said, the kids always put you in your place. So I landed in Kazakhstan in the Soyuz here uh, two years ago and got on an airplane. It was a 24-hour trip back to Houston, um, landed there, did medical tests. I had to go to the gym to exercise, um, to start the rehab process, and then my son, who had turned 16 while I was in space, and he got his driver's license while I was in space, he's like, "All right, Dad, we go car shopping." So he took me in in my car and drove me to car dealers so we could start looking at cars for him. It was uh, definitely a "you're back and you're dad again." You're not, you know, hero astronaut anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a very important role for dads. It uh, involves cars, I think. So on one on one mission aboard the uh, International Space Station, you spent uh, 200 days in space, an enormous amount of time. Was that planned from the start, or why did you spend quite so long in space on that mission?
1: Well, most of our missions are, you know, roughly a little less than six months. The original plan, I think, was 169 days for us, and then about halfway through our mission, at the beginning of mission, a U.S cargo ship blew up. And then halfway through the mission, a Russian cargo ship blew up. And then after that, at the end of the mission, a SpaceX cargo ship blew up. So we had three of them mm-hmm. in eight months. And when the Russian one exploded, uh, there was a problem with the Soyuz booster. And thankfully, it was an unmanned cargo ship, so nobody was hurt. But the Russians wanted to take their time and make sure that this Soyuz booster from the cargo ship was not going to have a similar problem on the next launch, which was going to be a manned launch with a crew on board. So while they were doing the safety investigation, they delayed our replacement crew, the guys who were going to come replace us in space. So we did, we just stayed in space for longer while we were waiting, and it was a interesting feeling. That was the commander at the time. You know, it's like, okay, crew, we're stuck in space and we don't know when we're going back to Earth. <laughs> so we ended up getting extended by about a month um, before we finally came home. But it was fine. My Samantha and Anton, my crewmates, handled it really, really well and I could have stayed up there for months more if they needed me to. We, we, we just kind of stayed in our groove and and didn't come out, didn't get any, we're going back to Earth mode um, until they told
0: us. It's a, sort of a mixture of good news and bad news, though, isn't it? I mean, I think when you're in a space station, you hear all these spaceships are blowing up. It's not <laughs> it's not all good news, is it?
1: Well, right, blowing up part was bad, especially since, like, our underwear and food was on board. <laughs> that's exactly it. But as far as being extended in space, um, I know Mike, the way I looked at it, and I know Samantha and I think I had the same attitude, was I'm in space. I'm going to enjoy it while I'm here. I'll have the rest of my life when I get back to Earth, be on Earth. So I'm going to just take this time on in space, enjoy it, and then it'll be over and I'll be back on Earth. Of course, that's super difficult for the families who are, Back home, just like any military deployment, or you know, if you're a ship captain, or any any kind of traveling that you have to do um, for a profession, it's always hard on the on the family back home.
0: I'm sure the uh, most stressful times would be going up and coming down. And then you had this other thing where your mission was extended. Did you ever get a sense of panic in uh, in your astronaut travels?
1: You know, I never panicked. I think. Part, my personality is kind of very stoic. I'm, I don't get overly excited, either happy or scared or, or whatever, which is a good quality to have when you're a fighter pilot or a test pilot or astronaut. We had an incident happen on the space station where there was an ammonia leak warning, which is the most serious kind of emergency you could have. And the whole crew handled it very well. We didn't freak out or panic. But it's hard on Earth. On I did three spacewalks, and at the end of my um second spacewalk. I was coming inside the airlock back inside the space station and my helmet started to fill up with water. It was a slow leak. It wasn't a tremendous amount of water, but the whole visor was covered. And so I called down I said, Hey Houston, there's a little bit of water leak here. We had seen this problem before with the spacesuit. I don't think it's a big deal, but I'm just letting you know. I tried to be very calm about it. Houston handled it very well. They didn't panic or anything like that. The news picked up on it and Two years before me, an Italian astronaut named Luca Parmitano actually had a really serious leak, and he was probably not far from drowning. It was a, mm. it was a bad, it was a bad leak. Mm. So, on the news, my daughter was driving home from school, and on the radio came this breaking news: astronaut Terry Versus has water in his helmet; he's at risk of drowning. So my poor daughter had to hear that on her way home from school. From school, even though that wasn't the case, it's still one of those things that the families have to deal with while we're up there in outer space.
0: Yeah, you don't want to think of all the things that, that could go wrong when you're a space traveller.
1: You, you would go insane. Yeah. yeah you'd go crazy.
0: <laughs> and, and you're out walking in space without a tether, I guess, so you you could literally have just floated away and, never, and become a satellite.
1: Um, we do have tethers, actually, and the tethers... Well, there's one tether. There's a safety tether. And if that breaks, there's a little jet pack on the back of your spacesuit that you could uh, fly back to the space station. So there, you know, there are several ways to hopefully prevent you from doing that, like in the movie Gravity. But, uh, you know, that is, of course, one of the risks of being in space. I think the bigger risk is to either cut your spacesuit on a sharp, you know, like if there's a broken piece of metal or something like that, poke a hole in Mm. it. Or if a little micrometeorite or a piece of space debris hit you, uh, that, that that would be, you know, that would be also be another bad thing that could happen. So, <laughs> yes, there are several bad things that can happen while you're out there in space, especially on spacewalks space, or launches or landings.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's best not to think of these things. We, we're going to take a short break now and we're going to listen to a song uh, that's actually picked by Terry. This song is called uh, Reality by Newsboys. <laughs> was Reality by Newsboys, and we're talking today with Terry Virts, who is an astronaut, a pilot, an author, a photographer, and a father. So, Terry, uh, what were some of the hardest, most dangerous things that you did while you were in space?
1: Well, as you mentioned, you know, launches and landings are always dangerous. It's Sometimes you talk about safety, or we need to make this next capsule safe, or... We need to make it whatever. It, it's hard to use the word safe when you're talking about launching on hundreds of thousands of kilograms or millions of kilograms of high explosives. Well, that's The word safe normally doesn't part of that. So mm-hmm. we have great engineers. Um, thankfully, uh, we've had a very good track record by flying people. But, of course, there have been a few accidents. So there's always some concern there. Um, and doing spacewalks is another one of our dangerous um,
0: Bringing it right back to, to the domestic, I understand you did a hairdressing course before you went in space.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I did. Um, my crewmate, Samantha Cristofredi, was the first Italian woman to fly in space, and she actually would not uh, agree that I was qualified for space flight until I went to her hairdresser with her and learned how to, how to properly do a lady's hairstyle. So <laughs> one of the things of all the stuff I've done as an astronaut, I've learned, you know, medicine, emergency medicine, even dentistry, science, all these. How to speak Russian, all this stuff I never thought I'd have to do as a fighter pilot. Doing a lady's haircut is certainly at the top of the list of things I never thought I'd have to do. But I ended up. I think it was the first ever proper, true hairstyle in space. It was a two-man job. I, I did the cutting, and Anton, my um, Russian. Cosmonaut friend had, had to hold the vacuum cleaner. So every time i cut off a piece of hair, it would get sucked up into and float over and go down the vacuum cleaner. the have was holding.
0: Yeah, and high risk stuff if you cut the cut too much or too little or, you know, the wrong bit or something. Oh
1: man. I, I you know, I I jokingly only actually actually not jokingly say between flying the space shuttle and doing rendezvous and spacewalks and being a fighter pilot in combat. The most stressful thing I've ever done is cut from that <laughs> she's she's the most well-known Italian woman on earth. Actually, they do these they have these internet polls, and Samantha by far is the most well-recognized Italian woman. And uh, if I would have messed that up, there would have been 40 million angry Italian women. <laughs> out. That was that was a high-threat operation.
0: Yeah, I think so. And, uh, were there any like demarcation issues in space with the you know with some female crew? Was was that ever uh, did it ever create any issues?
1: You know, it actually it didn't. It's, you know, it's two thousand seventeen. We there's women everywhere at NASA and all levels of the agency. Samantha has a great attitude about things like that and you know, probably different cultures have different attitudes about men and women and, and gender roles, but for us it just wasn't a big issue. Um uh, uh we, we got along well. It was kinda like launching with my sister, actually, the night before launch, we had this little ceremony and uh, I said, hey, and I kind of said, I'm an only child, but you guys are like my brother and my sister. so it was more like being in space with your brother and sister than, than anything and, and uh, it it went pretty well.
0: That's another lesson perhaps to learn from space travel that, uh, that that in you were in close quarters, six of you up there from different nationalities and uh, and yet you were able to to get on so well and and to remain. Very close to this day, I presume?
1: Yeah, we, we do. We we text each other all the time. Uh, one of my goals as commander was to still be friends when this whole mission was over with. And uh, I think that has worked out pretty well. We're all still friends. And during, during our mission, there were three Russians, two Americans, and an Italian. And this was during the Ukraine Civil War. We actually could see bombs going off in of Ukraine. Um, this was after Russia had annexed Crimea. And this was while the West was imposing sanctions on Russians. So things on Earth between the West and Russia were really, really, really bad, like all-time bad since the middle of the Cold War. And yet in space, they went really well. Um, We got along well. When we had that emergency I mentioned, uh, the Russian deputy prime minister called us on the radio and said, American colleagues are welcome to use the Russian segment for anything you need. We're going to work together. So the space station was this example of international cooperation going well whereas on earth you know there were other things that were not going so well so that that was one of my proudest i guess accomplishments if you will as commander just that you know we did get along very well uh during some pretty tense times here on earth Mm.
0: now terry you may know that we have a flying doctor service in australia but uh what what happens if you need medical or dental attention in space
1: we we do need some basic training we're kind of uh Basically, like nurse or EMT level training, every once in a while there's an actual astronaut physician that flies, um, but we did not have one on our crew, so I was the crew medical officer, and I learned dental training also, and actually one of my crewmates had a filling pop out, so I had to replace his filling in space, and uh, our our dentist, the NASA dentist, told me that that was the first time that's ever happened, so that was kind of cool. Uh, But we know basic, you know, we can do um, IVs, we have an AED if somebody had a heart, problem. Um, if you had some type of acute internal problem, for example, appendicitis, um, we could treat it with antibiotics, but you would basically have to come back to Earth to have surgery. So mm. we're not really equipped for full-blown surgeries in space yet, but we can handle the basics.
0: Mm. Yeah, that might be a good thing, I think. Um, but uh, uh, And I'm just wondering what personal things you can take into space with you. Uh, you obviously took your camera. But, uh, you know, can you take books or a bottle of vodka or something like that?
1: <laughs> well, uh, unfortunately, no, but I um, actually the cameras I had were already there. They're NASA cameras or, yeah. um, you know, the official crew ca- cameras, and there are tons. And I'm a photographer um, who's put one of my favorite things to do, and so it was kind of like a photographer's dream being up there because so many very nice professional cameras we had Nikon and Canon still cameras we had Canon Sony Panasonic GoPro and a brand called Ghost I think that's all video cameras so basically and red actually red was one of our best uh, Hollywood quality cameras the Red Dragon so uh, I've was able to film an IMAX movie called Beautiful Planet. I actually saw it in Australia um, Mm. a few months ago. And that was just the best part of being in space, was being able to take pictures of the Earth, of the universe, but also just of us in space, you know, working and living in space.
0: How many photos did you take in space, Terry?
1: (laughs) Well... They told me I took over three hundred thousand and there's a group of people at NASA that had to downlink and you catalog each one and they told me that I had taken the most ever um, as a as as a any space mission. Part of the reason for that was the IMAX movie they they wanted us to do a lot of still images for that um and part of it was i took I would do time lapses where you put the camera on two or four frames per second and then let it run for a few minutes. And then you can take all of those still images and turn it into a movie. Uh, in fact, the IMAX movie was shot that way. So if, I mean, if you of few years go to the IMAX theater in Sydney or Melbourne and see beautiful planet, you'll see um, all, of, all the footage of Earth is basically shot with still cameras. But I did take a lot.
0: Um, we're speaking with Terry Virch. Terry, uh, you are planning to come to Australia in the next few months, I think.
1: I am. I One of the... I had in life and one of the reasons I left NASA was so I'd be able to write a book. I wrote it with National Geographic. It's a photography book of my missions in space and also it has stories from my missions in space. So uh, it's about 300 pages of photographs and stories. It's not a memoir. It's, It's like what it's like to be in space. And I am doing a book tour. It comes out in October. So October is the U.S. And then in November, I'm hoping to do a trip to the U.K. and then also Australia. Uh, I'm just super excited about it. It's a beautiful book. National Geographic did a great thing, and I I laugh. As a high school kid, you know, when I was a teenager, I was not a good English student. I would get C's, which in in America, we go A, B, C, and F is the worst. So C's is very average at best. Um, I got A's in all my math and science classes and C's in English, so that was something I never thought. But I was... Excited to be! I I was the author of the book. It's not, you know, written with a co-author. There's not a ghost author. I actually wrote the whole book myself. So that was, it's something I'm very excited about.
0: Terry, what's it called?
1: The book is called You From Above: An Astronaut Photographs the Earth and the Universe. And I think it's a beautiful book. And it's just, I'm super excited and really hope to come down to Australia and and uh, find some books for folks
0: yeah look we're really looking forward to seeing you. We've got to the stage where we ask our guests to pick a song. Could you tell us the song you've picked, Terry, and why you picked it?
1: So I picked these boys, two songs from them. They're an Australian band, and I love their music. It's kind of rock pop up tempo music, it's also Christian music, which I really enjoyed and the the songs I picked came out uh, back in the nineties and early two thousands when I was a, an f sixteen pilot, so they just there's a lot of really good memories.
0: So this is Rescue by Newsboys. The old friend who rats you out. And that was uh, Rescue by Newsboys. So it just remains for me today to give a very special thank you to our guest from space, uh, Terry Virts, astronaut among his many accomplishments. Terry, thank you very much for being on the program.
1: Thanks for having me, guys. It was a lot of fun, and I really hope to be down under soon.
0: We'll look forward to seeing you. And uh, don't forget, we'd love to hear from any of our listeners. You can go to our website, dadsontheair.com.au, and send us an email, and we'll be in touch. If you'd like to listen to this show again or any of our shows, go to our website, dadsontheair.com.au, or you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter. And we'll be back next week with another show on Dads on the Air.